0: Well, hey, Lake Point family, um, I have the honor today of introducing to you a, uh, a very special a guest speaker that's bringing the word to us today. Um, as you know, Lake Point, we are heavily invested in church planting in our nation. We've planted as a church 42 church plants that are reaching every week on average around 27,000 people. Um, we have, uh, there's a, one of our church planters that I've just felt an affinity with from the time that I got here is a guy named Joseph Barkley. Um, Joseph planted four years ago in North Hollywood And uh, guys, Joseph is seeing an amazing move of God at his church, Radius Church. In just four years, Joseph is already reaching weekly on average around 700 people in North Hollywood. And he's been doing, that's right, come on, we can celebrate that, seeing a move of God in North Hollywood. And uh, and, uh, in addition to that, Joseph's been doing that in a very small room, so we can both celebrate and pray with Joseph as Radius Church just moved into a new location that tripled their seating capacity. So we as a church are behind them. Lake Point, we believe in church planners. They're like the Navy SEALs of the kingdom. And so will you right now, will you help me give a warm Lake Point welcome to Joseph Barkley? Come on, somebody, let's do that. Hey man, love you. Thank you, Jared. Yep.
1: I don't know if this is a very church thing to do, but today I'm gonna give you three ways to justify doing any stupid thing you wanna do. Like any shortcut, any little indiscretion, any compromise, if you're sorta kinda planning or kinda thinking maybe you want and you haven't really told somebody, you got a secret stupid idea, like buzzing around in your head, I'm gonna give you three ways to give yourself permission to do that. (laughs) You're like, oh boy, this is, I picked the wrong Sunday to show up. Or some of you new people are like, I picked the perfect Sunday to show up. (laughs) Uh, I'm actually gonna do more though. I'm gonna give you three ways to justify doing anything that you want, but then I'm also going to help you understand why that is a horrible idea. Or sometimes the thing that you wanna do most is actually the very worst thing you could possibly do for your life. And some of you are nodding your heads a little too hard because you've just done that foolish thing that you wish you'd never done. But before I get into it, uh, I need to take a little straw poll. How many people in this room, like me, are a little directionally challenged? In fact, the best invention you've heard of is those map apps. You need the Apple Maps, you need Google Maps. Some of you like OG people, you're thinking MapQuest, I go and I print the thing out and I put it on the car seat next to me. Yeah, I need it. I would have gotten lost on my way from that seat to this stage if I used used an app to get from there to here this morning. Obviously, I'm overstating it, but not much. I'm awful. I really have no sense of direction, which then leads me to think that the rest of you or most of the rest of you think that you're pretty directionally sound. You've just got this kind of internal compass. Raise your hand if you're the kind of person who's like, yeah, I use an app from time to time, but for the most part, I kind of know where I'm headed. You just look at the shape of the clouds and where the sun is and the, and the. you're like wizards, it's amazing to me. We stand in awe of your gifts and talents. My wife, she stands in a category all her own, maybe there's a couple of you who associate with this. She does use the apps, she uses the map apps, but she does not see them as guides. (laughs) She sees them as competition. (laughs) You get in the car with Katie Barkley, That's my wife's name. And she will type in the destination and then the app uses its little algorithm to tell you its suggested course. This will get you there fastest. And then my wife, most of the time, will audibly say, I can beat that. (laughs) That's the biggest amen I've gotten in a long time. And most of the time she's right. And, you know, early in our marriage, I used to compare myself to my wife's, you know, as a man, I'm thinking, I'm supposed, stereotypically, I'm the one who's supposed to have that great sense of direction, but I don't. I got us lost way too many times. Most of the fights in our earliest years of marriage were my fault because I wouldn't want to admit that my wife is just, she's just better at this. And so, Katie, take the wheel. She can just have it. (laughs) The truth is, whether you're directionally challenged or not, we use whatever we can to try to get to wherever we're intending to go as fast as possible. Uh, in fact, if you're like me, you absolutely love a shortcut, which means you absolutely hate a detour. If you're trying to get where you intend to go as fast as possible, we love being the one with the inside scoop, You know, the one who outsmarted the system or the traffic, the road construction, and we can find that shortcut to get to where we wanna go. And we absolutely hate detours, where, oh, this unforeseen obstacle in front of me, and now I have to go this roundabout way to get to where I wanted to go. Uh, I live in Los Angeles, California, and even if you've never been there, you've heard a few things about my city that are probably accurate. Earthquakes, fires, traffic. You know, But at least the rent is high, so it's great. I love living there, I do love my city. But there is, there's a lot of traffic. You know, To go five miles takes you about five hours. You just have to plan ahead for it. Uh, which is why in LA, you know that secret power that you have, if you if you have it, is to find that shortcut. The thing that is frustrating, though, and maybe you've experienced this before, is when you take what you thought was a shortcut, and it ends up being a detour. You know what I'm talking about? Where you're in the middle of traffic and then you get off at this next off ramp and you think I'm gonna be the one smart person. I'm not gonna be a sucker sitting here for two hours. I know this way around through this one neighborhood and through somebody's backyard. I'm gonna get there as fast as possible. And then you get off and you realize that a thousand other people had that same really smart idea. Or you get off the freeway and you realize that your map app was actually trying to help you avoid that road construction that now you're sitting looking at and it's what was a shortcut or you wanted to be a shortcut ended up being a detour. And that reminds me of a lot of moments in my life where I decided to take what I thought was gonna be a shortcut and I ended up sabotaging my future or delaying my future or stunting my growth or my own development physically, spiritually, emotionally, relationally. What I thought was a shortcut ended up being a detour. So today, what I wanna do is not just uh, talk about why we take those shortcuts in life and why we justify taking the the short way around or avoiding some of the pain or the challenge. I wanna do something better. I actually want to give us what it takes to persevere when everything in us wants to go around what hurts. Everything in us wants to go around what is calling on the depths of our character. Everything in us wants to go around the challenges of life. I want to help us persevere when we are so tempted to take those detours that are disguising themselves as shortcuts. I hope that's going to be helpful for us. I don't know if you think about this much, but Jesus actually had a chance to take a shortcut all the time. And yet, he always seemed to take the direct route. It's like he always knew where he was headed. He always knew what he was about. He always knew what he was trying to accomplish. And he was refusing, moment by moment, to take the easy way out. To, to take the shortcut, to, to avoid the challenge. He always took the direct path there, but it's not like he didn't have a chance to take a shortcut. I, I wanna take us to one of those moments where Jesus was in fact given a shot to take a few shortcuts and nobody would have blamed him for doing it. And yet he still decided to go directly through the challenge. When he hit that fork in the road, and there was the right way and the wrong way, his perseverance and his resolve helped him choose the right thing. He was at that fork in the road where he could have chosen the wise thing or the foolish thing. And he had something in him that helped him choose the wise thing, even when it was so, so very difficult. And I hope that's going to be helpful for us. This was right after Jesus' baptism. My favorite thing I get to do in my job is baptize people. I absolutely love it. It's always a Powerful moment. Maybe you've been baptized. As we witness baptisms, it's an incredible moment every single time. There's always an amazing story. There's always a miracle behind a baptism. And that moment when the person comes up out of the water is similar to what Jesus probably experienced after his cousin John baptizes him. Jesus comes up out of the water. So like to that point, everything in Jesus's baptism looks like what he's commanded us to do as followers of Jesus, to be baptized. But what happened right after Jesus was baptized is something I have never experienced in a baptism. If, if you're deciding whether or not you're gonna be baptized, and, and maybe that's an experience that you're going to have, I just want you to know that what happened next after Jesus' baptism, don't expect that for yourself. Because when Jesus came up out of the water, a voice from heaven decided to talk. that that's not happened to me. Has it happened to anybody in the room? Okay. Because if it does, we have to talk between services so I can use you as an illustration in the next service. But I've never had that moment. But Jesus comes out of the water. this voice from heaven, speaks to Jesus. And this is what the voice from heaven says. Matthew recording this in his biography of Jesus. The voice from heaven says, this is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. Now just to encourage you, if there was a voice from heaven speaking to you right now, I wouldn't be surprised if this is some of what it would say. You are my child. Whatever you've done, whatever you're capable of, whatever failures you have, whatever challenges you're facing, you're the one I love. With you, right now, as it stands, I am well pleased. I already love you to death. Jesus proved it. You are my child. I love you. I'm well pleased. Right after this very powerful, unforgettable moment, I'm sure, something interesting happens. Uh, Right after this, Matthew records, then Jesus, and in the original language, this word means kind of like immediately, the very next beat. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Right after this, after fasting, or during this moment, after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, Matthew, Captain Obvious, says he was hungry. (laughs) Thank you, Matthew. I think we could have inferred that about a man who has not eaten for 40 days and for 40 nights. I would be hungry after not eating for 40 minutes and 40 seconds. (laughs) He was hungry. Now, when you think about the devil, I'm sure certain images come to mind. You're wondering, what did Jesus encounter? If you believe that this actually happened, I do believe it happened. Jesus encountered the devil. Uh, And (laughs) instead of, if I was the devil, which I'm not, just for the record, but if I was the devil, I would not appear to to tempt someone, I would not show up as like this cartoonish red demon with a pointy tail and a pitchfork. I don't think that would work. I think you would laugh, you would see the devil a mile away, you would run the opposite direction. I wouldn't show up like that. If I was the devil, which again, I'm not, but if I was the devil and I was showing up to tempt a guy who hasn't eaten for 40 days and for 40 nights, I would show up like a Chick-fil-A server. (laughs) Y'all, don't let this smile fool you. This is the devil. I would show up like a Chick-fil-A server and in that bag would be Chick-fil-A breakfast, those little biscuit things. I might leave stage right now and go eat. Although you can't though, right? I, I would show up as a Chick-fil-A server on a Sunday. Preach. And I would have Chick-fil-A breakfast, and I, but I would also have those waffle fries that were plucked off of a tree in heaven. Oh my goodness. Oh, Chick-fil-A. You wanna eat? So I don't know what the devil looked like, but this isn't actually the most remarkable part of this moment for me. It's not that Jesus didn't eat for 40 days or that he encountered the devil. The most remarkable part that stands out to me when I was looking at this passage this week was that it was God who led Jesus to this moment of temptation. Now, a lot of times when I face temptation, here's, I make up a, a few assumptions in my head. One is, what an idiot, why did I put myself in this predicament? Uh, And sometimes that's the case. Sometimes our heaviest temptations are because we've made a series of foolish choices and now we're in a scenario that seems difficult to get out of. We're more tempted than we would have been if we had maybe made some different choices relationally or financially. Uh, But then there are some times when I'm facing temptation and what I imagine about God is God then, at that moment when I hit that fork in the road between the right and the wrong, between the wise and the foolish, God runs off somewhere in the distance, grabs a clipboard and a stopwatch and he's like, I wonder what this guy's gonna do next. I hope he makes the right call. I hope he doesn't take what looks like a shortcut but it's actually going to be a detour. I hope he makes the right decision. But what I've come to realize, and I hope this encourages us, is when we face those temptations in life, it is not a chance, listen to me, it is not a chance for God to decide or to determine how smart you are. Instead, it is an opportunity for us to discover how close God really is. Well, let's look at the temptations that the devil tried to lay on Jesus. The first one here we see in the next sentence, Matthew chapter four, verse three. The tempter came to him, came to Jesus and said, if you are the son of God, this should be easy, tell these stones to become bread. Nobody would blame you. You're super, super hungry, go ahead and eat. Nothing wrong with that. But Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Why would Jesus say this? Why would it have been wrong for him to eat bread? Not morally wrong, for sure, he could have eaten bread. If you look at the life of Jesus, you read through these biographies, you get the sense that this was someone who was always doing things on purpose. Every word seemed to be on purpose. Every move seemed to communicate something to us. And I think Jesus seized this opportunity, the thing that the enemy intended for harm. Jesus seized it to illustrate something for us for all of time. And it is this, that you could have all the bread you want in the world and still be totally dead. Or maybe a way that's easier for us to understand is you could actually acquire everything you've ever wanted in life and still never address what you most deeply need. So he decided to seize this opportunity. And rather than just take the easy way out, he thought, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna let the world know that there's more to life than just fill in your bellies and fill in your wallets and fill in your resume. All right, temptation number one. Temptation number two, then the devil took him to the holy city. Let's try this, round two. Round two. Holy city, had him stand, had Jesus stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, if you really are what everybody's talking about, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. And what you should know is there were a lot of people at, at the time of Jesus claiming to be messiahs. So a lot of people actually would have been asking Jesus, like, how do we know you're the real deal? All right? So this question came from a, maybe from a conversation Jesus had had before. It sounded like a conversation he had before. Temptation number two, prove yourself. Jesus, oh, and they will, I'm sorry, and they will lift you up in their hands, these angels, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus replied, he answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. All right, so that one didn't work, so the devil tries round three, maybe third time's the charm. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. Here's a globe in front of you, Jesus. All this, the devil says, I'll give you. If, this is the only thing, you only have to answer to one person. Skip all the pain, skip all the challenge, all of the turmoil. One thing you have to do is just bow down and worship me. You only have to answer to one person and all of this could be yours. Gain the entire world and all you gotta do is answer to me. Temptation number three, Jesus said, away from me, Satan, for it's written, worship the Lord your God, serve him only, no matter what it costs, no matter what you think you're missing out on. Temptation number three. Does this sound like the week you had? I hope not devil's promising you planets. That would be a very strange week. But before, we're tempted to think that this has nothing to do with us or we can't relate. I think buried within these temptations are temptations that I face every single day. Temptations that tell me that there is a shortcut, there is an easy way out, that temptations that give me the permission to do whatever stupid thing I want to do, to sabotage my future. Like, think about it. The very first temptation of the devil, it sounds a whole lot like a temptation I've faced before, is to see my wants as needs. Bread. I know you want bread. Forty days of hunger, just have some bread. In fact, don't just want that bread. You need bread. No one would blame you for getting some bread. You got an empty belly. I can hear it growling at me. Just have some bread. That want, actually, I think it's a need. And if it's a need then man, do whatever you can to get it. You don't have to explain yourself. Anything you try to get what you need, it's survival at this point, you need it. Now we learn this from an early age. I've got two daughters and I hear them on the regular say something like this, I'm starving. I'm like, girl, I've been raising you for 14 years. Not a day in your life have you been starving, ever. I mean, there's been some times we struggled to pay the bills, especially when we first started a church, we didn't have a paycheck, but my daughter's eight, so don't you tell me you're starving. I'm going to have you fast for 40 days and 40 nights, and then you tell me that you're starving. I'm a better dad than that, but I'm just venting right now. They're not going to see this. I'm starving. But it doesn't get any better, it's just the stakes get higher when we get older. I talk to some of my single friends, and they don't just want to get married. They need to get married. and I talked to some of my married friends and because of a fight they had in the car on the way over they're like I'm pretty sure I need to be single (laughs) I need to retire I need to work when we elevate our wants to the level of need we justify doing all kinds of contortions with our lives to get the thing that we think that we need that's why some of you right now, you're not enjoying the power of generosity in your life because how dare you reduce some of what you think you need to give towards something bigger than yourself. I don't know, I can't give up coffee. I can't give up that square footage. I can't give up my eighth car. I, I don't know. I need it. But the truth is that you want those things and there's nothing wrong, listen, with wanting most of those things. But when we elevate them to the point of need, we can justify doing all kinds of Life reducing choices, taking all kinds of shortcuts and taking all kinds of weird angles that actually end up sabotaging or reducing our future. The next temptation sounds a lot like something that I go through every single week, too. That next temptation is to prove myself to people. Maybe I'm the only one listening who ever struggles with this, but. I, am in a con- I have a constant temptation to prove myself to my wife and to my kids and to people listening. I need to look a certain way, I need to look strong, or I need to look right, or I need to look successful. It's a frequent temptation for many of us to prove ourselves, to- and a lot of- where this comes up a lot for many of us, of course, is when we're in an argument. And again, maybe I'm the only one that can relate to this, and so thank you for the therapy session. I'm just gonna keep sharing for my life but oftentimes when I get into an argument, very, very quickly, my agenda turns from just trying to figure out what's right or to reconcile the relationship into I need to win. So I'll do whatever I can, I'll say whatever I can. I might even lie a little bit, leave out some of the details just so that I look like a winner on the other end of this. I have to prove myself to people. Maybe this is a temptation that you face. Jesus, if you really are the son of God, if you really are loved, if he really is pleased with you, where's the evidence? Are you so sure? Really, do you have purpose for your life? Really, are you worth paying attention to? Really, are you worth a second chance? The temptation to prove ourselves to people oftentimes, especially when we're maligned or when our reputation often is in question, and we'll spend all kinds of sideways energy just trying to get everybody's story straight. I need you to think about me a certain way. And the truth is that your character, the choices that you make moving forward are the the strongest testimony you have to who you really are. The third temptation that Jesus faced at its core sounds like something I face too, it's to sacrifice my future for my moment. To choose some inadequate moment that ends up reducing, sabotaging, maybe even destroying my potential future. It's the most heartbreaking thing I see in the lives of people that I get to serve is where they will choose maybe a moment of ease or a moment of pleasure or a moment of comfort at risk of never achieving or never experiencing the future that really God has in mind for them, the incredible vision of an abundant life that God has for them. I'd rather choose comfort in this moment, I'd rather choose to play in this moment, and I'll pay for it later. This probably describes some of the debt that some of us are carrying today. I decide to play now and ask my future self to pay more for it later. This is probably why some of you are still in that relationship. Ah, he's not Mr. Right, but he is Mr. Right now. And I'd rather have what I have than never have what I hope to have. So I'd rather stay comfortable here. That's actually why some of us choose to just stay comfortable in our moments and never get to experience the future that God has for us. The future that does require a little bit of risk. It requires a little bit of faith. It requires a little bit of perseverance. I'd rather just stay comfortable in this moment. There are some of you today And you knew months ago that God had called you to take another step of faith. God had called you to take a different risk. God had called you, you knew God had called you to be that one person that was gonna speak up to your friend because he's in an addictive pattern or he's running around on his wife or she made an awful foolish business decision and nobody has the gumption to tell her but you. Oh man, I I don't know. I don't know if I've got the courage to do it. I don't know if I've got all the answers to the questions that they're asking. And so what do church people decide to do? We're really good at sitting in our moment because we can spiritualize it. God's called you to do something. Maybe someone, a leader in your life has prompted you to think about something and what do we say? I'll pray about it. I'll pray. I'll check in three months later. Hey, have you done anything about that thing that maybe God was doing in your life? I'm still praying about it. This sounds like a weird thing for a pastor to say, but today, maybe the most spiritual thing that somebody in this room needs to do is to stop praying about it and just make a stinking decision. No. Yeah, I know it's gonna take everything in you to do it but that's what it's gonna to take to stop living in your moment and start experiencing the future that God has for you. So these are some of the temptations that Jesus endured and I don't just want to give us the reasons that we, ration, we rationalize in our minds taking the shortcut or the easy way out, taking these shortcuts that end up being detours. Instead, I want to focus on, for the remainder of this time, what did Jesus have and, and more importantly, what can we have to truly persevere? When everything in us wants to go around or take the easy way out or just stay stuck in our moment, how do we persevere and push through? Where do we find the resilience to choose the right or the wise thing? Where do we find the resolve to choose the right or the wise thing? Where do we find that grit to the right and the wise thing? I don't want you to look at the person of Jesus and think there's no way that I can stand in the face of such temptation. Here's a guy who claimed to literally be God in a bod. Of course this temptation Jesus came out You know, shining. Uh, He, you know, was he was a winner on the other side of this. Uh, And I think that it's easy for us to well, Jesus, this was a simple moment for him because he just had more to work with than I do. But I actually think you're doing yourself a disservice. You also have to focus on the level, the drama of the temptation that Jesus had to face. And I think the temptation that Jesus had to face was commensurate to the capacity he had to face him. To put a finer point on it, you and I will probably not face a devil promising us a planet this week, all right? But you will face a temptation that's gonna feel just as impossible, a temptation that's gonna feel just as difficult. And I do think that we can come back to it. Jesus showed us once and for all time what we can do in the face of those temptations to persevere and make the call that in our future we're gonna be proud of. It's gonna take us further. That's gonna move us into the vision that God has for our lives, What Jesus did in these moments, if you'll remember, is he went back to what God had already spoken. He went back to what God had spoken through scripture. He went back to what God had already promised. He went back to what was truer than that moment of temptation. I actually think that what he was doing was he was reminding himself of the presence and the vision of God in that moment of temptation. So my encouragement to us as we move into our week is when we face that pressure, when everything in us wants to take the easy way out, Let's invite the presence of God into that moment. A prayer that I've been praying very simply in those moments of temptation, I face them so frequently, every every single day, many times a day. What I do is I simply am asking God, remind me that you're here and tell me what what I should do. Remind me that you're here and tell me what I should do. Remind me that you're with me and tell me what I should do. And when I face that pressure, I wanna invoke, I wanna invite, I wanna leverage the presence of God in that moment. And here's the really, really good news. When we decide to do that, rather than buckle under the pressure, when we decide to push through and persevere and do the right thing or do the wise thing, we emerge on the other side of that stronger than we were before the temptation hit. This is in the story of Jesus here in Matthew chapter four, verse 11. Then the devil left him. And the angels came and attended him. In the original language, this says, and the devil left him for a moment, but the angels stayed with him for good. And what I take away from that that I think might be helpful for us is when we face those temptations and still persevere and do the right or the wise thing, on the other side of that is a person stronger to face the inevitable challenges and temptations that are gonna face us again. The devil might have come back to tempt Jesus, but there was more strength waiting to face him when he returned, Friends, I've been sober for 16 years. And thank you. And I'm so thankful. Uh, I'm thankful for my wife and my close friends and my sponsors. I actually didn't go through a typical 12-step program, but since my recovery, since my recovery began, I've been exposed to a lot of those programs, to AA and to different 12-step programs. Maybe you are experiencing a new life because of some of those programs. And I'm reminded of the third step in the AA process of the 12 steps that some of you could probably recite. And I love this. I made a decision to turn my will, or our will in this case, and my life over to the care of God as I understand him. And it's that last part of this commitment or this step that stands out to me. That I decided to turn over to my life to God as I understand that God. I don't know if your understanding of God right now is that He's on the other end or He's standing off at a distance with a clipboard and a stopwatch, seeing if you're going to make a stupid move. I want to remind us that I think the best picture of God can be found in the person of Jesus. And I think the reason that Jesus went into that desert and faced this temptation is so that the life that He gave on the cross was not a life of condemnation, but instead a life of identification. My friend, I've been there. I've been at that fork in the road where you are right now. I felt that pressure too. I've been hangry. (laughs) I've been scared. I've been nervous. I've been knocked back on my heels. And I'm telling you we can make it through this. I'm telling you we can take another step. I'm telling you it's not over. I think Jesus faced the temptation. He faced this pressure so that the life that he gave on the cross was not one of condemnation. I hope you don't make a stupid move but instead a life of identification. I'm with you, I get it, we can do this. Temptation is so powerful, but we should not see it as something to be avoided or a sign that you're failing at life because you're facing some temptations. In fact, I've come to learn that temptation, every single temptation is actually an opportunity for transformation. Every single temptation you face can create transformation in your life. You don't come out the other end neutral. Either you've done something and now you're on a little bit of a detour or maybe you've, you've, got, you've lost step a little bit or as you face that temptation, choose the right or the wise thing. When everything in you wants to go the opposite direction, you emerge stronger on the other end. There is nothing wrong with you if you're facing challenges and temptations in your life. It's just that God is preparing you for a future that will require greater strength and this is how he's building it in you, all right? And just a heads up, the testing and the temptations are always hardest right before a breakthrough. Some of you, I'll get some more nodding heads right here. The testing and the temptations are always most difficult right before a breakthrough. Right after this desert experience, Jesus goes on to begin reaching thousands of people. Right after this desert experience. So, when I'm tempted to worship my want more than the God who provides all of my needs... When I'm tempted to contort myself out of shape to prove myself to somebody, or or when I'm tempted to ignore my future so I can enjoy a destructive or inadequate moment, I can remember in that time that God is preparing me, preparing strength within me, preparing a, a dependence on his presence within me that the future is going to require of me. There is a breakthrough coming, and God does not promise to give us easy lives. Instead, he refuses to give us a life that renders him unnecessary. So these temptations and challenges that God is bringing into your life as you're standing at those forks in the road between the right and the wrong, the wise and the foolish, remember that God is not standing off at the distance but God has joined you in that detour. And the choices that you make now, I want you to remember what future hangs in the balance, something or someone that hangs in the balance. Now the road to the cross, if we're gonna follow Jesus there, is not just a road to it but through it. You know, there was a little while after this that Jesus was on a cross, and they beat him beyond all recognition, and they threw a purple robe on his shoulders, and they wedged a crown of thorns on his head, and then somebody yelled out, hail, king of the Jews. And I wonder if in his mind, he goes back to this moment on this hillside where he was promised a deal (laughs) to bypass all of this pain and still get a title like that or when he was hanging on the cross and almost everybody had abandoned him and somebody yells out, if you're so special, call some angels down to help you. I wonder if Jesus thought, "Ah, I've heard this before. In some of his last words when Jesus cries out on the cross, I'm thirsty, I'm so thirsty. I wonder if he thought, I've been here before. But I won't give into this moment Jesus didn't give in to that moment because it would have meant missing out on his future. Because of the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. And you know what that joy was? You. Because there was the promise of a relationship, a forever relationship with you, Jesus endured the cross. He did not come to gain the world, he came to save it. This life might be hell. And it might feel like it sometimes. It might feel like every temptation is a devil staring you down. But even though this life is hell, Jesus died, so this can be the only one you have to go through. Trust him today, even in the deepest, darkest, most challenging moments of life. Let me pray for you. Jesus, thank you that you not only give us an example to follow, but you give us the power necessary to follow that example. We don't have the capacity to face these challenges and temptations in life without you. So I just pray that this week, very specifically, that every time I face a temptation, and I know I'm praying on behalf of a lot of people, when we face the temptations to take the easy way out, to make destructive choices, that God, in that moment, we would remember to say, God, remind me that you're with me, and what would you have me do? Remind me that you're with me, what would you have me do? trusting that if we can persevere through those times of challenge and trial, we're gonna emerge stronger and more free on the other end. Thank you, Jesus, for making it possible. In your name, amen. Amen.
0: Thanks for listening today. For more biblical teaching and worship, join us for our church online live weekend services on Saturdays at 5 p.m. and Sundays at 9.30 and 11 a.m. Central Standard Time. For more information about all the digital ministries of Lake Point, visit Digital.